If there is one thing Mobile knows, it is parades. This is a city known for its parades. The Mardi Gras season is an amazing time when multitudes take to the streets to celebrate, to celebrate life. And many of you are involved in those productions. They are organized, they are well-financed, they are scripted, they are planned, and they are extravagant. They are wonderful parades. There are all sorts of parades, of course. Victory parades, military parades, homecoming parades, Christmas parades, Thanksgiving parades. And then there are what I call the parades of the people. People parades that occur somewhat spontaneously, that just sort of erupt. And we sometimes call those marches. When people take to the streets to make a point, to rally around a cause, to present a proposition to the rest of society concerning what they think ought to happen. And we saw that yesterday in our country. Hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets, determined to change the laws that govern the possession of firearms. And the young people were there, featured in these mass demonstrations. And they were determined to make a difference in this matter. And of course, they were prompted by the most recent rounds of school shootings, Leslie Chu, a graduate of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, summed up her sense of what was happening when she said, this is not a moment, this is a movement. This is not a moment, this is a movement. Well, we will see whether it is a moment or a movement. We will see whether it will make any difference at all in our day. We will see whether this cause, which is somewhat spontaneous, somewhat late in coming and led by children, whether it will make any headway at all against the grown-up opposition that is well-organized, well-funded, and very powerful. There was a time in our country when parades for political change mattered. Think of the suffragettes. Think of the civil rights movement. Think of Selma and Stonewall. Think of all the places where people rallied for change, and change eventually came. Nowadays, the effect is less certain. Mass demonstrations don't seem to accomplish what they once did. Think of the Arab Spring of Egypt, of Libya, of Syria. Think of Tiananmen Square, where very little changed. In the days of Jesus, a people's parade could lead one to a cross. In those days and in that place, organized political opposition could lead to a cross. Because the Romans allowed limited self-governance among the people that its empire had occupied, but the Romans did not allow, would not allow, anything that appeared to challenge the authority of Rome. And crucifixions were reserved for those who dared challenge the authority of the Caesar. And so it is somewhat surprising what happened on that first Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. 
So far as we know, this is the only time Jesus ever rode anywhere. The rest of the time, he walks. But on this day, he rides. And his ride on this lowly beast of burden is itself a sign. Now, there's nothing extraordinary about a man riding in Jerusalem on a donkey. People did it every day. But on this day, it becomes something more. It becomes the fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So to ride into the holy city as he does is a sign that Jesus is the one. He is the one for whom they all have been waiting So far as we know, Jesus doesn't say anything to this effect. He simply rides the donkey. But they pick up the message. The people pick up the message. The people take up the cause. And they turn this donkey ride into a moment that has all the potential of becoming a movement. They understand the subtleties of this sign that is before them. They know that riding a donkey means that Messiah does not come as one who will conquer. He comes as one who has already conquered. A would-be conqueror might ride into Jerusalem on a steed or in a chariot but one who has no need to conquer comes on a donkey. Again, Zechariah 9.10 says, He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The people get it. Jesus is the Messiah who comes not with swords clashing, not with guns blazing. He comes as the King of Peace. And so they welcome him. They welcome him with palm branches. They welcome him with shouts from the Psalms. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And all of this happens, and the Romans don't even seem to notice. They don't even pay attention to this would-be rival to Caesar. To them, it all looks too tame, too naive, too spontaneous, too unorganized to be a real threat. And so they ignore it. There are those who do notice, other authorities who do notice. The religious authorities from Jesus' own people notice this. We read in Luke's gospel how the Pharisees object to this people's parade. They order Jesus to order his people to cease and desist. Jesus refuses, and that refusal will become a part of their charge against him as one who deserves to be crucified. They will say to Caesar, he organized a parade. He is a rival to you. Jesus will not silence the crowd, however. 
And he says to those who object, if they are silent, then the very stones will cry out. This coming together of common people for common cause cannot be stopped. It is a movement of those who are convinced in their hearts that Jesus is the one for whom they and the world have longed. So they praise him with all their might and with all their means. They praise him. We who live on this side of Jesus' death and crucifixion sometimes are critical of this crowd. I have a sermon uh, about that in which I note how little they understood of what he really meant to do. And so we note how they sing hosannas on Sunday and say nothing when another crowd cries crucify him on Friday. And we even speculate that some of these who shouted his praises on Sunday were among the crowd that cried crucify him on Friday. We note their ignorance, their lack of understanding about who Jesus really is. We see them being carried away with enthusiasm and missing so much of Jesus' message and his, his ministry. Yet we who say those things might think that we know better because we know the rest of the story. But do we really know better than they knew? Have we learned perfectly all that Jesus would teach us? Do we do all the things we know he commands us to do? Are we not often misguided in our devotion to Jesus? I dare say that some of the things we say, think, and do would make Jesus weep just as he wept over Jerusalem. This is hardly the time or the place for us to claim that we know more than they know about what really matters to the Lord They are in their moment. We are in ours. Jesus is with them in their moment as one who rides a donkey through the Judean countryside. He is with us now in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. They misunderstand things. We misunderstand things. They are carried away with enthusiasm and, oh, that we were too carried away with enthusiasm. We enter this day into a holy week. As this week unfolds, we do not see ourselves becoming smarter and smarter. We do not see ourselves becoming better and better. We do not see ourselves becoming more and more strategic, more and more effective. In fact, this week moves us in an entirely different direction. As the week progresses, we realize how much we don't know. And we realize how much we don't control. By Friday, all of our best laid plans will fail. On Good Friday, we will appear before the Lord on his cross and we will appear empty-handed. No answers, no plans, no excuses. 
on the day of his death, we will realize again how intransigent is the organized malice of our day and of theirs. We will know most of all that we are part of the great evil of our generation just as they were a part of theirs. And we will not be able to escape our complicity in his crucifixion any more than the Palm Sunday crowd could escape their complicity. And so on this day, rather than thinking we are somehow superior to those folks, the very best thing we can do is join them. Is join them. Join the naive crowd that followed with loud praise. Agree with them that the Lord comes not as one who must conquer, but as one who has conquered sin. His appearing awakens in us a great desire to be with him, to go where he goes. And we know where he goes. He goes to a cross. And we know that he goes there for love of us and for love of them and for love of the world. And so we are compelled to go with him. We are compelled to welcome him. We are compelled to praise him with all our might and with all our means. We are compelled to follow Jesus through this holy week until we come to next Sunday, the great day of resurrection. And so we are invited to go with him We're invited to follow him, to be near him, to learn all that we can from him and of him to the end that when we come again to this season next year, we are just a little bit farther down the road of being the very ones God made us to be. I invite you to be fully a part of this holy week. I invite you to immerse yourself in the story of his last days before his passion. To join with your sisters and brothers in worship to come and receive the sacrament that we will receive on the night when we remember his last supper with his disciples, to be here as we move into the darkness, and, of course, to be here next Sunday, for it will be glorious. And so we go from the glory of this day and what a glorious day it has been I am so grateful to all of these who have done so much to prepare us for this good day, for the rousing anthem, for the wonderful children's music, for all of these adornments in the sanctuary, for the crosses we wear, for the palms that we appreciate. It is a fitting thing.
for us to praise the Lord on this day and to sing our own hosannas and then to move with him through his dark hour and to come again to the glory of his resurrection. And so we stand and sing number 278 and we sing with great vigor, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Hosanna.